Welcome to the Transform Your Teaching Podcast. The Transform Your Teaching Podcast is a service of the Center for Teaching and Learning at Cedarville University in Cedarville, Ohio. We seek to inspire higher education faculty to adopt innovative teaching and learning practices. Thanks for joining our conversation. Welcome back to Transform Your Teaching here on the campus of Cedarville University in Cedarville, Ohio. I'm Jared Piles, and with me is Dr. Rob McDowell. Hello, Robert McDowell. Hello. And with us, we're having a faculty conversation today, one of our ongoing series with Dr. Alicia McCartney. Hello, Dr. McCartney. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah. So give us a little bit of background information. What brought you to Cedarville? You know. What do you teach? What do you teach? All that stuff. Yeah, so this is the start of my fourth year at Cedarville. And I came here in fall of 2020, which was its own uh, adventurous time, time to be here. Yeah. <laughs> what, what happened? What happened in 2020? Oh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just, uh, yeah, global pandemic and high flex pivoting and, and so forth. So I came here from Patrick Henry College, where I was in a visiting position for a year. Uh, and before that, I finished my doctorate at Baylor University in English in 2019. So I came here in uh, here at Cedarville. I serve in the Department of English, Literature, and Modern Languages. And I teach primarily uh, gen ed, composition, Western literature, and our British literature courses here. So does Jared work for you? No. <laughs> <laughs> when he teaches, when he teaches comp, I I do not oversee that, so yeah, I am not judging you. N- neither of us do. No, that's good. So that's really good. That's good. So why Cedarville? You know, I really love and have a passion for Christian higher education, especially because that's a part of my own testimony. It was really in college. I went to Patrick Henry College, which is a small Christian college about 90 minutes north of Washington, D.C. And it was at Patrick Henry that I really was discipled by faculty members who poured into me as I was wrestling through my own faith, making my faith my own, coming from a Christian home, but then also having a lot of questions. And uh, it was really in college that I decided that, you know, I wanted to follow the Lord for myself and have it not be simply, you know, what I was raised in, but what I really uh, wanted to embrace. And my professors were a huge part of that journey. And so part of why I came here is that this is a place that cares about discipleship as part of teaching. It's not just information transfer, but uh, I can pour into my students every day and, and really invest in them as brothers and sisters in Christ, as well as students. I don't even know how to follow up to That's that. Good. I feel like we should just Roll credits. (laughs) It sounds like you've already developed a philosophy of education, and that's what's driven you to Cedarville. That's a common refrain that we have heard from many faculty who we've interviewed. So it's really cool to see that that's what's driving you. How have you seen that come to fruition in your teaching and in your classes? Yeah, I think thinking about philosophy of education, it's very freeing to be at a place like Cedarville where I can see education as moral formation and not simply knowledge transfer. Mm. In a more secular university model, there is much more of an emphasis on the student as consumer and uh, the, the sort of knowledge transfer model being all that education is about. You're here to get a degree so you can get a job so that you can make money. Uh, And at Cedarville, we look at that uh, and we say, well, you're here because you have the opportunity to grow in your faith and to be discipled and to love God with all your mind and serve him. And so when I look at teaching, I look at how can I 
encourage my students to be more like Christ uh, through the kinds of ways that I design my courses, the things I ask them to wrestle with and think about. I mean, the the discipline of English, it's writing, it's thinking about ideas, it's critical thinking. How do I teach students to do that in a way that uh, is not um, exalting autonomous reason, but instead submitting that to Christ and using their ability to think critically to ultimately be able to share the gospel uh, and in literature, I mean, we talk so much about uh, really life uh, and big questions about, you know, what makes us human, what makes somebody heroic or admirable. I was just talking about that in Western Lit today with the Odyssey. Um, how do we look at pagan literature like the Odyssey and, and what can we redeem from it? Uh, the Greek gods sure make me thankful to uh, serve a god who's not fickle <laughs> and uh, <laughs> does not play favorites. So, yeah. Zap. Right. So you mentioned technology, and we're all about innovative teaching practices on this podcast. Give me some examples of you using technology in the literature English course. Because sometimes, you know, I, I taught English. It's difficult to weave that technology in in an authentic way. Yeah. So give me some examples of that. Yeah, I think so. And so whenever I think about technology, I think a lot about my objectives for a course, why I'm designing a course a particular way, what I want students to do. Uh, there was just a high that. five that was given. I, I might have listened to some podcasts in preparation whoop, for this, whoop, but I, I do think about that. Uh, and I think about, you know, what technology needs to work for those objectives and not against them. Uh, and I know that students are coming into my class with technology mm. that can often work against uh, what I do unless I harness it in a way that's working for what I want them to achieve. Preach. Uh, so thinking about that, one of the things I do, uh, I do a lot of discussion-based uh Courses. And so in Western literature, for example, usually we spend anywhere from, you know, it's an hour and 15 minute course. So we'll spend maybe 20 minutes of the class with them in small groups doing discussion questions and engaging with the text for themselves. Uh, so one of the things I've started to do actually as a result of COVID and teaching online with Zoom is I'll have a shared Google slide that will have everybody's questions, uh, different groups. So each group will have their own Google slide. And as they're talking in their groups, somebody in their group is on their laptop putting notes from their discussion on that Google slide. And then when we group up, they'll present the quotes that they chose and their answer to that question. So what I found is that really helps ground our conversation in the text because in the past when I've led discussions, just kind of free form, sometimes I'll get students who say things like, oh, I just feel like, you know, Odysseus isn't just a great guy and, you know, I don't really like him. And I'll be like, why? <laughs> where, where are you getting that from the text? So uh, using Google Slides in that way and telling them, you know, put some quotes on this slide so I can see how you're doing that close reading so you can read that. And then it's helping other students in the class see and understand. Um, and, and they're also invested because, you know, they could be on their laptops doing something else, but I've given them a task. And so they're using that laptop for you know, thinking about the text. So that, that's one way that wow. I, I do uh, that I found pretty effective. Instead of letting the students drive, she's driving them to the technology. She's making them, I mean, she's yeah. encouraging them to use technology in a way that's fruitful for. But not in a, just any way you want to. Yeah. You're engaging their minds and you're engaging the content in a way. And so that's COI right there. Yeah. Right? She's got student to student, student to... Well, even teacher, really. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, I, I feel like I, I learn from them. I yeah. feel like I learn from them. So where did you come up with this idea? It was just a blast of brilliance. I mean, not, <laughs> you know, it's excellent. It is. But I also know we all build on others. Is there anyone who 
who gave you inspiration for that. Yeah, so actually when I was coming to Cedarville to do my on-campus interview and teaching demonstration, I had a long conversation with my dissertation advisor where I was actually teaching Western Lit. And uh, at that time, I had not had a ton of experience in the literature classroom. And so I sat down with him and I was like, how do I do this? (laughs) (laughs) So I taught composition for for my doctoral work uh, quite a bit. And uh, yeah, I had just started teaching literature that spring semester for the first time at Patrick Henry. Uh, And so coming to Cedarville, I taught maybe like three literature classes at that point in my newly minted doctoral self. (laughs) So uh, he he gave me that. That model is something that he does. And there were a couple other professors that when I was in grad school, I got to sit in on and observe at Baylor who did a similar kind of discussion model. But the Google Slides thing really came out of COVID because I used to do Google Docs. The problem with having, you know, 16 to 20 people in a Google Doc is as soon as one person types, everything goes down Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it just, you know, messes everything up. So the slides I found to have been a more manageable way to do that. And when we all pivoted to be online in March of 2020, I started doing that because then, you know, the students could share their screen and play the slide and I'd have something that they were working on in their own basements or wherever they were, you know, zooming in from and. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's excellent. Annotation wise. I know we, we talked about doing yeah. annotations and such. Are you finding technology to use for annotation purposes as well? Yeah. So I am not teaching Shakespeare this semester, but <sighs> I have taught it for the last three years and I'm actually teaching it this summer. I'm going to London for two weeks with CU study abroad. Can so. I come too? Uh, yes. Okay, good. <laughs> talk, to, talk to Dr. Wiseman. <laughs> okay, I'll I'll do that. Uh, but yeah, so I'll be leading a group over there of of students to study Shakespeare. We're going to go see some performances at the Globe Theater and the Royal Shakespeare Company, and it's going to be awesome. Uh, but in the past, in Shakespeare, one of the things that I found to be super helpful is there's a social annotation uh, open source software called Hypothesis. And what it lets you do is it lets you annotate any, really any web page anywhere or any PDF. So I have these PDFs, the Folger Shakespeare uh, Theater publishes their Folger editions of Shakespeare in very nice, beautiful, clean PDFs. The, the thing about those PDFs, though, is that they don't have notes. Uh, so the student is encountering Shakespeare's text, but they might come across a word that they don't know or be wrestling with Shakespeare's language. Uh, and so one of the things that I ask them to do outside of classes, as they're reading the play, they make annotations um, and kind of do a little bit of research using either Oxford English Dictionary or you know using the Folger resources and things like that. And they make two annotations on some part of the text, either something that they're noticing or a word that they're defining, something like that. And then they have two replies to somebody else. So maybe somebody will ask a question and then somebody else in the class will respond. So we're creating our own sort of multi-layered text before they even come to class prepared to talk about it, where students can then already be learning from each other uh, and reading along. And, you know, instead of just looking down at their footnotes, which they can do if they buy a physical book, but if they're online, you know, those notes are... They make you pay for the edition somehow. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) they're basically writing their own critical edition as a class. And I found that to be really, really cool where students will already be having conversations about passages and, you know, in a space where they have a little time to do research in a way that they wouldn't necessarily in class. So that's that's been fun. Wow. We are learning. So Uh, this is what I enjoy, though. This is why I enjoy having these conversations is because. I know our faculty are doing amazing things, and you're doing something that's that's amazing. Um, 
and and I think it's driven out of again a, a philosophy of wanting to make a difference for Christ in the lives of those students that you're serving. That's the other thing. It seems like you definitely have a, a servant mindset towards your students. Yeah, and it's a service to each other. I think that gives them a little bit more value in their pre-class writing because they know, hey, if I go look this up on the Oxford English Dictionary and I post this, then you know the six other students in the class who don't know what this word means will you know mm-hmm. have my definition to build on and understand the text better. You're creating so. a learning community, and mm-hmm. <sighs> excellent. And it's also very low stakes. Mm-hmm. Students may come with questions that you know they may be afraid to maybe ask in class. Yes. But you're finding that being able to do that in an annotation form and then have other students asynchronously be able to answer that. Mm-hmm. It's so, inspiring. This is, this is inspiring stuff. I will put a plug. So Hypothesis is uh, open source software, so it's free to use. Anybody can download the plugin. I haven't yet used it in composition. I really want to because students can annotate PDFs so they can be doing their research on journal articles or whatever. And then I can see their shared you know, notes on their research documents as they're doing their research. Uh, but Hypothesis makes their money by selling a Canvas integration, which we don't pay for currently, but is really cool. They had a free trial of it during COVID and now it's no longer free. So uh, hmm. just yeah. saying. We should probably talk to somebody about that. <laughs> we, we. It, I think I think other people here would would use it. Um, it's it's pretty neat. I could see it having a wide application in, in other disciplines. I would use too, it. So Let, let's talk about you talked about students to student kind of their interactions and their learning, but you also mentioned earlier how you learn from your students. Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, I, I think one of the cool things about the literature classroom is the text that I've taught. I you know have read multiple times. I read them every year. I teach them. And yet every time I'm noticing new things, I'm doing more context research. And and part of that is just not wanting to stagnate as a scholar. So I don't always want to talk about the same things. Uh, But as I'm doing that, I also have different groups of students every year. And they have different things that they care about and different questions that they ask. And so, uh, for example, I was just teaching Beowulf in British Lit. And I had a guy in that class who was talking about Anglo-Saxon ideas of masculinity. And that, that wasn't a question that I'd really delved into or, or asked of that text as much. And so the next class, I was shaping some of my questions around that and thinking about, you know, what did it mean, especially like how did the Anglo-Saxon culture understand masculinity? Hmm. Uh, how is that related to emotion? Um, violence, blood feuds, kinship, loyalty, those kinds of things that we see in that text. So just the questions that they're interested in then prompt me to think about like, hmm, I've not really delved into that or thought about that. And that's something that I think I can learn more about from that. I'm really trying not to go down the old English Beowulf. I'm going to try to just let it go. I'm going to, because I could speak. I mean, one of the greatest classes that I took um, as I was getting my master's, it was on Britlet, and it was we spent hours reading Beowulf in the original. Oh, it's incredible, and I know you can do it fluently. I'm not going to ask you to do that, but oh, sorry. But so with those, pardon those, us for a moment as yeah. he recol- <laughs> as he collects himself. It's okay. But, so, it's, it is the best. It's the best. <laughs> when you have difficult texts like that, though, when you have students struggle with it. How do you help them? Because there could be other faculty that, you know, they really want their students to grasp a text. It could be anything in a textbook. When they have problems with it, how do you, how do you handle that? Yeah, I think that a lot of times uh, 
it comes down to making the classroom environment a safe space to ask those questions where students feel like, you know, I'm not the dumb one uh, <laughs> that, you know, and I, I tell them this on the first day of class and I'm trying to create that classroom culture is that chances are if you're wondering this, there's probably four other people in class who are too scared to ask that question, but are also not getting it. Uh, so uh, I encourage them, you know, be the person to to ask that question because chances are you're serving other people in the class. But I also do just a kind of a fast feedback uh, where in Western Lit, I have students come with just a post-it note or an index card that they hand in at the beginning of class that's an observation quote or question. And I tell them, like, this question could be, I read this and I really did not understand this thing or I'm super confused by this. And I don't say who asked that question, but I look at these at the beginning of class. I have them do a little think-pair-share where they talk about, like, what they noticed with somebody else as I'm looking through those index cards. And then I look at those and I see, like, okay, there's like three students who said I was really confused by this. And then that's something that I'll work into my lecture at the beginning as well. So Formative and summative assessment. She's Boom. doing formative assessments right there. She did. And we talked about this on this podcast. We have. It's incredible. Now, um, were you trained in education? I was, yes. Okay. <laughs> I did. I had an excellent that's class that's in, wonderful. Uh, in graduate school that was through the education department called Teaching and Learning in Higher Education. And oh. yeah, really, really changed uh, the way that I thought about pedagogy. So very influential. Do you think we need something like that here? That'd be awesome. I know uh, the the small teaching book club that Dr. Megan Brown mm-hmm. led last year as yeah. well was, was really helpful. And uh, I think I might have even gotten that idea of the fast observation quote question from her in that fall because I started doing it last fall. Uh, it might have been from that book or from our discussions. I can't remember. Good. But that was that was also really great. I think the cool thing is that that book was was very manageable, and mm-hmm. you, know, you don't have to rewrite entire lessons, but there's little tweaks that you can do, and I'm always looking for those things. So what's the next tweak? It's mm, a good question. You stumped her. I did. It's the first yes. time this entire interview. Whoop, 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 whoop. You know, I, I think that it's hard for me to think about that at the beginning of the semester because I've just made a whole lot of tweaks. Oh, <laughs> but, uh. but I will say I'm I'm still in the process of, and I'm I'm going to drop the Chat GPT bomb. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still in the process of learning about Chat GPT, about what it can do, how to use it, and how not to use it. So I'm hoping by next semester I'll have a better idea of ways that it can be fruitful in the research process uh, through playing around with it more myself. So yeah, that's that's maybe the next step is thinking about. How can I productively use this? Because I have some hesitations and I'm not sure if I'll, what answer I'll come to on that. Mm. But yeah. She's going to come in and do a coffee drop with us on uh, ChatGPT. Yeah. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Back. You drink coffee, right? I do. Perfect. And wouldn't she drinks a, tea. A, oh, that's okay. I do. That's okay. You can't be a British lit person without drinking tea. I think you can. <laughs> I think so that's you have, possible. You have coffee drops. They, they will kick you out of England. It's, coffee it's, drop. In order to get into England, you have to sign. Something that says, I shall drink, drink tea. tea. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So you mentioned index cards as they come in. That's a very 90s technology, it which is. is perfectly fine. <laughs> Especially now, considering the Wi-Fi in our studio is completely gone. You had a backup plan because you printed out the answers to your questions. We have not. So we're kind of... IT, close your ears. She printed out a piece of paper. She did. She <laughs> paper did. is a great technology. Ah! It, is, it is a great technology. I agree. But let me ask you, so when technology, let's say a student goes, well, I can't access the Google Slides, or yep. I'm sure you have issues where a student's like, 
it won't give me access because they're not logged into their Cedarville account or something like that. Yep. How do you handle that? Yeah, I think that's why there's multiple students in the groups. So usually <laughs> usually that doesn't come to me. Usually it's somebody in the group will be like, oh, I can pull it up or, you know, let me. But every semester, always during the first couple weeks, there's, you know, some assignments and a student's like, I, you know, my computer crashed. I couldn't turn this in or do you really want this due before class? Yes, I do. <laughs> Especially <laughs> freshmen in the fall. Uh, yes, this is how college works. You do have to do homework outside of class. Uh, so yeah, I think I think the biggest thing that I found is just um, having grace for students in that first week, especially fall semester freshmen. Um, you know, you tell them these are the expectations, but everybody's getting oriented and, you know, it's a, it's a new world. And my students are coming from various uh, backgrounds and access. And honestly, I was realizing that Canvas technology that we use is really different from how I experienced college. And my grad school courses had Canvas. They weren't really, we didn't really use Canvas a whole lot. It's really been since I've started teaching that I've used it a lot more. But uh, I bring that up because my dad has just started a doctoral program. Mm. The last time he was in school, he graduated in 2010 uh, as a PA. And in 2010, a lot of his papers were still being, you know, turned in on paper and um, now he's like, how do I use Canvas? What's this thing? So <laughs> walking him through that, uh, realizing like really in the last 10 years, education has changed drastically. And yeah. now I feel like there were some huge paradigm shifts in how we teach. Um, obviously, big one 2020 uh, with COVID, high flex, Zoom, all that stuff. And we had to pivot there. And then 2023, I think AI is going to be the next major uh, ground shifting technology that will change how we yeah. teach again. So yeah, challenge challenges there are figuring out how to keep up myself. There's always fear, I think, whenever you adapt a new technology because nobody wants to look dumb in front of a classroom. Sure. So there's always that barrier of, do I really know how to use this enough that I'm not wasting <laughs> instructional time trying to load the thing? And do I have a backup plan? So when yeah. the Wi-Fi goes down. Yep. Chat GPT <laughs> on paper sounds like a new, a new. <laughs> Someone, new technology. someone prints out all of chat GPT. That yeah. will cost something. Oh, man. Yeah, that'll be expensive. I can hear the business office now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> thank you so much, Dr. Alicia McCartney, for coming in. Thank yes, you. thank you. Thanks Please don't be a stranger me. to our offices. Absolutely. I think we could learn from you, and I think faculty on this campus could learn from you as well. Well, I appreciate y'all's support. It's been, I feel like every time I have a, a question and for you guys, y'all are on it and such a huge support as well for what we do. So y'all have an important role on this campus and we appreciate you guys. I appreciate that. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Transform Your Teaching Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review as well and on Spotify and whatever else podcast platform you use. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Transform Your Teaching Podcast. Please subscribe or follow us on your preferred podcast platform. For more information, you can email us at ctlpodcast at cedarville.edu. Please consider subscribing to our blog, Focus, found at cedarville.edu forward slash focus blog.